0: Hello and welcome to the Rodeo Labs podcast. My name is Logan Jones-Wilkins and I am your host today. That's right, just me. I'm flying solo. Steve the intern is out of the office and he's handed me the keys to the castle or the keys to the podcasting suite. With that responsibility, I decided to delve into adventures. Adventuring on dirt is what brings everybody to rodeo labs yes there are other contributing factors but if your intention is to not adventure on bikes on dirt you might want to find a different bike company with that ethos at our core i wanted to dive a bit deeper into a fellow dirt adventure based cycling company the gravel adventure field guides i have one in front of me now gravel adventure field guides are pocket-sized guidebooks that tell the story of a specific place around the country through routes, experiences, history, and other tidbits that are curated at the folks from Gravel Adventure Field Guide. Nonetheless, while I was reporting on the guides themselves, I found the project was a gateway into a discussion about adventures on bikes on dirt in the 21st century more generally. So in hopes of not ignoring those other voices I heard along the way, this podcast grew into something different from the standard Rodeo Labs production. I really wanted to tell a full story. I wanted it to bring in different perspectives from around the country and talk about not just a product, but something that I find to be near and dear to my cycling experience. And that is route making, route curating, and adventuring places that I have not been before. I hope you enjoy this production of the Rodeo Labs podcast. Rodeo. Fun. thanks for joining us today. You bet. Thanks for having me, Logan. So my first question is um, about Trinidad itself. So the first gravel guide was made based around the Trinidad area. How was your experience living in Trinidad before you made the guidebook? How did that inform what you created and what you wanted these things to look like?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. So you know, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I've been fortunate enough to have traveled prior to moving to Trinidad and was able to sort of take, you know, because I, I would say I'm, I'm a pretty observant person, no matter where I'm at, where I'm going, what I'm doing. Um, I, I tend to pay attention to details and, you know, they can be anything from, you know, the, the layout of, of a town as far as architecture to, you know, the sorts of business it has and, you um, and, but then also too to lifestyle, you know, choices around uh, recreation. You know, I, I lived in Boulder, Nederland to the west of uh, Boulder, um, and even in Denver. You know, I was um, you know in a position to to access some pretty cool um, areas to to uh, explore and, and and you know uh, spend time outside. So coming through Trinidad, I, I think it was a culmination of a lot of those experiences in a way where I just looked around and I was like, man, this place is got, you know, everything that I've always loved about living in Colorado. And, you know, it is, you know, another part of the state that um, has unique culture history. And, uh, you know, when I when I thought about the opportunity that gravel had here, you know, this is probably in 2017 2018, when this started to come together. Um, I really got exciting cause it, you know, it was just, it felt like it was at the front end of something that was already happening. And, you know, of course a gravel trend was moving pretty far along by, by that time. So, um, so yeah, you know, it, it really was just, you know, just, you know, paying attention to where I've been and what I've done and seeing what that could look like in
2: Trinidad. Okay. uh, My name is Wally Wallace, and I am the Economic Development Director for the city of Trinidad, Colorado. Interestingly enough, Juan
0: is not the only former Denver citizen who's moved to Trinidad with hopes of creating a better community and a love for bikes.
2: For economic development, I do a lot of things, recruiting businesses to the area. Um, In Trinidad, we have really focused on Outdoor recreation, historic preservation and tourism, and the creative industries as our main focuses is, is we're a smaller community. We have less than 10,000 residents in our city, and um, we're actually one of the most sparsely populated counties in Colorado, so um, not a lot of big cities or other uh, municipalities or communities in the immediate vicinity.
0: While Juan and Wally arrived in Trinidad at different times, their paths eventually crossed because of this shared understanding of Trinidad's capabilities and their shared passion for bicycles.
2: Um, I actually first moved here in 2000 and at the very beginning of 2019 um, with a interest in bringing signature events to the area. Um, So I actually first moved here and started a bicycle and comedy festival where it was centered around encouraging people to go out and ride bikes around the area during the day and then come back into the city to watch comedy uh, shows at night. Um, So I did that when I first moved here. Then after the first event, I was really encouraged to apply for this economic development coordinator position. Um, which I then took in September of 2019. And um, all along since moving to Trinidad, I've just thought there's a lot of possibilities for um, bicycle economy here. And uh, because there aren't a lot of trails built here yet, we really uh, have been focusing on gravel as our main um, bicycle activity in the area. When you entered the position
0: you're in now in 2019, was there any relationship with Gravel Adventure Field Guides and Juan, or was it something that unfolded after you took your position at the Economic
2: Development Office? Well, when I first moved here, like I said, I was doing the comedy festival that had a bicycling element to it. And I first actually read a local news article about Juan de La Roca and his endeavors to keep one of the county roads open to cycling. Uh, There had been some local ranchers and landowners in the area who had been advocating to close off one of our county roads for public access. Um, And I first read about him really leading the charge to keep that road from closing down. And then there was actually an article about me written in the Denver Post about the Comedy Festival. And after that, Juan kind of reached out to me saying, hey, I'm the local bike guy and I see you're doing a bike event. Uh, We should meet up and talk. And so we did. And at that point was when he really started putting it in my head that really the future in the area is gravel um, and how there weren't really a lot of trails. So we can't really attract a lot of mountain bicyclists yet. Um, And, but he expressed that there wasn't really a lot of uh, reference guides to people finding out where to go right on the gravel in the area. So at first we were talking about trying to come up with just a map, a map that showed the different routes that people could take. Um, and then after I started working at the city and had been here for probably like six months or so, he really started reaching out and saying that he really thought that it would be cool if we did a guide, like a whole gravel guide book,
1: um, I had gotten, uh, some support from the Colorado tourism office back in 2019 to develop a, a cycling tourism campaign built around gravel for Southern Colorado. And, uh, so that was part of that process. So prior to the guidebook, a lot of groundwork had been laid. Um, I also had, um, uh, captured a, a ton of film footage as well. Um, uh, I, I, I created an adventure ride series, uh, in 2019, uh, you know it didn't have huge turnout for it but definitely had a few you know people show up and it, including a, a people who were you know pretty well connected in the cycling industry so they got exposed to it very early on and then um it was shortly thereafter uh, this was in 2020 the uh, economic development director here in trinidad was interested in putting together a guidebook and so i was like man i got this idea you know I, i'd love to you know bring this to life and uh, so that's where the guidebook kind of came out of, but it was, it was really through, you know, the guidebook was a result of a, about a year and a half of groundwork, um, <laughs> bootstrapping in Trinidad, you know, when, when, uh, there weren't, a, you know, a lot of other people that were seeing cycling as that, you know, opportunity.
2: As a city employee and as working for the government, it's, it's pretty much impossible for somebody to just come up to me and say, Hey, I want to do this. And then me being like, great, here's the money to do it. So we had to go through a whole procurement process where we had to write out like what we expected out of this guide and then put it out to the entire public for all of them to um, put in their own proposals of what they would do for a guide like this. So we ended up getting three people submitting uh, their own proposals to do something like the gravel guide. And one of those was Juan. And I'm really glad we were able to choose him because it was really his initial advocating that caused us to wanting to do a guide like this. And so through the selection process, we did end up selecting him and Steven Bineski of Bineski Design to make the gravel guide. And then this was the first uh, gravel adventure field guide. So this was the one that kind of started them on this trajectory of doing multiple of these. And I think they're working on their fifth or sixth book now. So um, it's cool to know that Trinidad was the place that kind of gave them the chance to start that opportunity.
0: Stephen Beneski has been there since the start, helping Juan build the Gravel Adventure Field Guides to the point where they are today. Fortunately, Stephen was also available to chat, and we sat down and talked a little bit about what his role is in the company and talked a little bit about how his story in cycling and in design helped contribute to the Gravel Adventure Guide's particular feel and look.
3: I do all the illustrations, the design layout, publishing, printing, uh, floor sweeping.
0: Yeah. Are you the the utility man? Pretty much. What was your cycling experience up until the point where you started working more involved in the gravel Um, adventure field? I've always
3: been on bikes. I mean, starting at like four or five years old, BMX bike, making jumps, um, you know, cruising around the neighborhood with very little curfew in 1970s. Pretty funny times. In high school, I started racing road bikes, did that into college. Um, The shift of mountain bikes came in as I worked in bike shops, and I was like, what are these things? Um, And got a mountain bike and started doing that. Realized I enjoyed it, but I wasn't fast enough. I was like cat four forever kind of thing. Um, And then started riding mountain bikes a lot, um, commuted to work that way. And then found gravel kind of by accident. Um, here in golden in the winter, it turns to kind of, you know, glue and peanut butter, everything is clay. So you really can't ride for a while. And, um, you know, just watching people ride by on the road and was like, you know, maybe I should get back into riding the road in the winter and then mountain bike in the summer. And gravel bikes were first coming into the shops. And I just started talking to different shops about what I wanted to ride. And they pointed me to a couple different options and got a gravel bike about seven years ago. And then started exploring more of the stuff in Golden and started realizing that there's everywhere you go, there's gravel roads to connect things. So rather than being in the pocket of a mountain bike trail, you're now able to ride much larger areas and farther distance. It's a, for me, it was a great hybrid between cross country, mountain biking, and road biking. And that's what pulled me in.
0: What was your background professionally, artistically, and how did that sort of run parallel or complement your experience cycling?
3: My first job out of school was with an agency called um, TDA, Thomas Design Associates. And they had just started working on the RockShox brand and Cannondale um, bikes. And I kind of, the timing was perfect. Someone was leaving and I walked in. Um, That was 1994 when RockShox first started. And they had a couple of side clients as well that we were working on. But watching Thomas work on the Judy catalog, um, and seeing the evolution of the mountain bike sport happen. Um, I was there for about a year and then I moved over to an agents, another agency, um, while at Thomas design, just seeing the evolution of bikes and the lifestyle culture that he wanted to maintain in mountain biking. Um, and I was just in the right place at the right time. I'm on the cover of the Judy catalog. Um, riding with three other guys from the agency, but his perspective was to infuse fun in Rock shocks and not the engineering. So, you know, we're out riding in a field on, you know, one mountain bike, two cruiser bikes. He's got a, you know, a giant Gumby uh, stuffed animal, like, you know, bungee corded to the, the rack of a town bike. And we're all cruising around this field in Longmont, Colorado. And, um, that was a huge thing for me of seeing, either the fun and the lifestyle behind cycling and watching the evolution of that for RockShox where they didn't want to jump into the engineering right away. They wanted people to think, yeah, if I ride this, it's going to be fun. And I think that was a big part in the early day for my headspace. Um, I worked in another agency for a couple of years and then um, and went into the magazine world as an art director With uh, within Time Warner. There was a small magazine called Freeze, which is a free skiing magazine. Um, so I've kind of bounced from cycling into ski, snowboard, rock climbing world, um, worked with Tarango for a little bit, and then came back um, into the bike realm. Um, it, it's just weird amalgamation of a bunch of different clients that overlapped because it was, it's kind of that freelance feast or famine. So I found myself working in three or four different spaces because the art back then kind of moved with trade shows. There was an ebb and flow based on what time of year people were getting rail for their steady selling season. So it wasn't just like, you know, it's like, do something for us now. We're going to use it for nine months and we'll call you six months from now for the next set. You know, most places weren't like it, nothing was a year round gig. I was shuffling like 13 to 14 different clients as an independent creative. Um, and, you know, that went all the way up. Um, you know, I've been doing the stuff for Beneski design up until two years ago when Juan and I started gravel adventure field guide. And this has been really the first time that I've stepped out of that realm as a designer for hire and focused on one thing and that one thing has been the gravel adventure field guide
1: you know i I think people really when they get a hold of the guidebook are, are blown away um in that you know when they initially look at it there's there's art there's that cover um and then as you start flipping through the pages and you start to see what's uh inside of it in terms of the content it really kind of brings out excitement around a destination and I think what's been really fun is is to see people from those communities that we're now working at, like Roanoke, for example, just recently. Uh, we had a book launch party there in mid-December, and longtime locals came up and they were you know they were just blown away, and there was a sense of pride that this is this is my community, this is where I live, this is where I get to ride and that's been really kind of special, and I think it did start in Trinidad um, because I think it, you know Trinidad again, wasn't necessarily a, a place that people thought of to go ride a bike. And, and the uh, people that have had the opportunity now to ride a bike here are, are totally blown away. Cause it's like nothing beats, nothing beats, you know, being surrounded by a fantastic landscape and having a sense of a- adventure and, you know, um, Trinidad was able to sort of do that. So I think that spirit, that spirit is definitely carried on to each destination. And um, so I think, yeah, that, that's the cool thing. It's like, probably the best is, is like the, the community itself is like, this is cool. And this is something that represents us well. And I think that's something that you know, we always want to try and do with each of these guidebooks. You talk
0: about the style and you talk about the different locations that have now come up, but, but it's interesting to look back and consider the bureaucratic and economic development origin of the, the project. It has a lot of intricacies and from conversations I've had with different people who've been involved with the guidebooks, you seem to have a clear vision When you go into creating these things and you seem to have a bit of a say in all the different aspects so it seems like there's a lot of intentionality from your end when it comes to creating this and i i want to know a little bit about where that comes from you see things like historical references you see a great attention to detail and attention to artistry how has the branding and the look of the guidebook reflected your past as whether that's a,
1: a person or a cyclist or a snowboarder? You know, my, my undergrad uh, was in history, and that was because of, of a subject matter that ever since I was a young kid, um, I was able to sort of like gravitate towards that and, and feel a, a connection, attraction, um, interest, culture, um, I'm also really fortunate. I, I, I learned languages when I was uh, young. My my folks are from Guatemala, so I, Spanish was you know a, a very strong presence in in my life. And so I always had a, I guess a, a, a curiosity. And then on top of it, as the years went on, I, I actually was able to you know have some pretty cool jobs. You know, in in my opinion, cool jobs. I, you know, I worked in uh, a couple bike shops, um, some pretty well known ones. Um, and, uh, I've also been in the advertising marketing world. Um, so, you know, going back, you know, a little bit to like the mid two thousands is when I decided to, to cut the cord and, you know, go strike out on my own. And, and I think, um, you know, coming into Trinidad, that was like sort of the culmination of all these other challenges that I've had in my life or these other sort of wacky projects. And so, you know, this idea that, you know, a a cycling destination built around gravel could be developed in a rural town in Southern Colorado was only possible because of the fact that I think I had, um, you know, the good fortune of having some really great experiences, worked with some awesome people, learned a lot from others, listened, but also was able to kind of take all of that and and, and be able to be self-directed. And I think that's, you know, what's kind of helped how the gravel adventure field guide has come together because I thought to myself, you know, you know, well, what is it that I want when I go to a place? You know, like what are the things that would make it interesting for myself? Um, and it, so I think there was a little bit of a personal sort of interest in developing the gravel adventure field guide around like my own sort of uh, I guess quirkiness and and intricacies of you know how I, I like to look at things or places, especially you know when I travel. And then, you know, entrepreneurial as well, you know, I, I been on my own for quite some time. And, and I think when you, when you get in that space, you sort of realize that it's like, it's <laughs> sink or swim, you know? And like, so sometimes you have to make, you know, some executive decisions and, and uh, do those with confidence and be willing to make the the risks and failures, but also move on from those quick enough so that, you know, you can continue to move forward and, and I think that's what's helping us right now with Gravel Adventure Field Guide because we certainly have some some really good momentum going into this year um, and we're have been really lucky because, I mean, uh, Trinidad came out in 21, April of 21. Uh, and then this last year in 2022, we dropped the books for Patagonia, Bend, Oregon, Pueblo, Colorado, San Luis Valley, Colorado, Ogden, Utah. We worked with Envy. Uh, composites on on that particular uh, project, and then um, the Roanoke book. Hit this last
0: after Trinidad, it seemed like things quickly gained steam, and you were able to syndicate to all of these different places: Bend, Oregon, Utah, uh, other parts of Colorado, Patagonia, Arizona. How do those projects come about? What is sort of the chain of events that leads from conception to production of these guidebooks?
1: We, we're currently working with destination management organizations, and so those can be a tourism, in, a visitor and tourism uh, convention bureau, It could be a chamber of commerce, it could be an economic development um, wing of a municipality or a county, um, or even at a state level. So we've really been focused uh, with working with folks in the tourism industry specific. Um, and... I think uh, a part of what's worked with uh, is that both myself and Steven Bineski, my uh, partner uh, with Gravel Adventure Field Guide, you know, we've worked with a lot of different types of organizations over the years. Um, Again, that whole experience, you know, we're we're crystallizing intelligence right now is what I'm I'm starting to think about. so, you know, we we know how to, you know, present well to people, I think, and we know how to speak well to what we're doing. Uh, so when we get into conversations with folks, uh, we get people pretty excited pretty quickly. Um, and when we, you know, initially started, um, and, and I think, you know, a big part of why we were able to gain so much momentum in 2022 with the number of books that we did was that, You know, having had the experience in the sports marketing slash tourism space, we had a lot of contacts, right? And I I mean, that that plays a huge role in being able to get in front of the right people and right decision makers. And and if you're not, you're usually one degree separated from that person. You know, like, for example, Roanoke came together because I had a friend who had worked um, for a number of years with Otterbox and he had spent some time in Roanoke. And knew a couple people and made that introduction. And so once we had that introduction, we we did our thing and we took it from there. And, and then that led to to the book being developed. And um, so yeah, you know, I think you know it goes back to I don't want to say it's all who you know, but I think it's you know uh, it is you know, your, your network and being able to, to speak well. But, you know, I think it also on top of it goes back to, you know, quality, doing good quality work too, as well. Both Steven and myself have been involved with different organizations over the years where the, the work was taken seriously. And and in some cases it was well-received by the public. And so, you know, I think that, that, that spirit and that um, ideology is kind of carried over into Gravel Adventure Field Guide. For Stephen. That ideology and
0: experience he gained in his past work definitely informed what he does at the Gravel Adventure Field Guides. But the guides offer him a chance to do something that's a little different, where he has a little bit more of an ownership and a little bit more of a personality in what he's able to design.
3: I was always calling myself a chameleon of design. Um, there's a few designers, you know, that do have a style. It's like if you, um, you know. The first one that pops to mind is Shepherd Ferry. You know, if you wanted something, you called him and you ended up in the Obey family. You know, things had a style, they had a color palette, and it's completely awesome. I didn't have that luxury. Um, it was each client had a different aesthetic. So you were always bouncing between there. And now getting to kind of focus on one has been pretty amazing. And when we started the first guide, we hoped that more towns would want to join our our company and support what we were doing to promote gravel. And we knew we were onto something and now we're working on our eighth book a year in. And it's been pretty relentless, a little bit overwhelming at times, but really fun. And that the fun has to keep stay in perspective because everyone's busy. I mean, I don't know anyone I talk to, they're shuffling a whole bunch of projects so, the fact that we're busy doing something that we enjoy is um is really amazing,
0: yeah, I mean it's it's really interesting to bring up that everyone who seems to have that notoriety in design or style is sort of like they you can see it from the beginning and you can see it at the end. like I'm thinking I just saw on Instagram today a post about Stanley Kubrick's first photography when he was a like sixteen year old photojournalist, and you're like That's Kubrick, right? I've seen the movies. I understand the origin, but it's like you can trace it back. And I think having the opportunity to do that on your own as someone who's been a freelance, who's been for hire, has to give you a little bit more of a feeling of ownership and a feeling of investment in the product. Because yes, you're one component of something that's multidimensional, but it's also one of the seminal components. And from my conversation with Juan, it seems like it's something that he really trusted you with to take your direction.
3: He did. We had a big collaboration. I mean, we talked about aesthetics and heritage and making sure that th- what we started was scalable. So one of, the, one of the funny parts was the Mexican Lotteria cards. The simplicity of those cards, you know, played a big effect on our cover aesthetic and it was something that, you know, how how can we make one cover tie into another cover? What's our color palette gonna be? And um, when we kind of start thinking about locations and we think about what might be their cover, what is the essence of the area? We always kind of circle back to simplicity. And I kind of think about those Lotteria cards and the influence helps. In a way, and I mean, I've been a designer now, it's kind of crazy to say for over three decades, and I've watched watched trends come and go. And even now, like designing the punk rock aesthetic, you know, if you want to rip some paper and get some halftones and get some high contrast, or you want to move over to the Western aesthetic and get some rope and do something, or go for the nineties retro and have some colorful triangles and some zigzag and paint splatter. It's really funny that what ties things together and we want to make sure kind of floating around all of that to not get pigeonholed into any one particular part, but keeping simplicity and clean. And I guess there's, there's some nostalgia that goes in um, because part of the reality of what we're doing, we want to touch on the nostalgia of the field guide, but also be able to have the um, Q the QR code that leads you to the digital realm, you know. So while we want people to kind of have the flashback of the 1960s, you know, almost like a NASA book or the General Electric Refrigerator Guide, like I don't know why I brought that up, but there's some nostalgia and simplicity to what we're trying to put together, and then be able to stretch that out between you know what could be 10 or 20 different destinations over the next couple of years.
0: Stephen mentioned the virtual realm which brings us to yet another character in this discussion of gravel adventure and that is Ride with GPS, the virtual platform which gravel adventure field guides uses to build all of their routes and what Gravel Adventure Field Guide uses to expand the connection with the community beyond the paper booklets. Here is a conversation I recorded with one of the members of the Ride with GPS staff to talk a little bit about what these partnerships mean and a little bit more about the company itself. Here is Kevin Parentes.
4: My name's Kevin Prentice. Currently our uh, Revenue Operations Director. I've been here for almost 10 years. Um, started in 2013 as a part-time customer service person and did that for a while and then went full-time and then company kind of just incrementally grew. We needed another support person. Um, we started working with uh, clubs and events and tour operators all over the world and that kind of that kind of came its own program. So I started working on that. Uh, a little while later, started working on marketing. Um, and so, yeah, have just been kind of doing a lot of things here, which has been really fun. And I, I really, our community of users is great. Our community of staff here is great. Um, so it's been, yeah, it's been a great journey. The company was started around 2007 as kind of a college project by one of our owners, Zach. He was a motorcycle rider with our other co-founder, Colin. And so they were kind of doing route planning stuff for motorcycles, and then they Linked up with a cyclist who had like a really old Garmin unit and had Bluetooth and, you know, and all the sensor data and heart rate data. And they were fascinated by that. Um, And that's kind of what kicked it off. So they developed the route planner for Garmin users. Uh, Mobile apps weren't really a thing um, at at this time. So that kind of grew and took off. um, And then they went full time on it around 2011. And then it kind of became a thing, you know, a larger thing in 2013. And uh, they hired our first mobile engineer who also happened to be named Kevin. And then myself a few weeks later. yeah, it was 50% Kevins for a while back in 2013. So it was a, a very fun place to work then as well. And yeah, we just you know started with the web route planner. Um, that was kind of our bread and butter, still our bread and butter. And we make tools for cyclists to go on better rides more often. We make discovery tools, navigation tools, uh you know play friendly with gps devices all sorts of stuff we've got you know we offer the expert cyclist the casual cyclist any cyclist uh, a wide range of tools to go out and have a good experience on the bike
0: mm-hmm. so i think there's been a bit of a phenomena we're seeing in the cycling industry and in the outdoor industry at large where you have a lot of these companies that come from that sort of late 2000 window out of serendipity out of spirits out of dreams just sort of big ideas. And then those companies slowly start to make it work. Um, But I think there's a little bit of that adjustment happening where you see different companies restricting and different companies trying to reprioritize after a large amount of investment. As a revenue guy and as someone who's keenly aware of income coming in and expenditures going out, what is the challenge like working with this shift in the economy and the shift in specifically the outdoor virtual space? You know, I,
4: you know, I I can't speak for other companies who, you know, may be going through some challenges at the moment um, or who may be in boom times at the moment right now too, depending on, you know, kind of what sector you're in and, you know, some folks who are in the A challenging time right now weren't in challenging times two years ago or three years ago. So, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, cyclical nature to this. Um, We've always kind of taken a different approach um, that really has just revolved around relationships. Um, We're very non. Untraditional, non traditional, whatever, whichever version of that word. Um, you know, we've never done like paid, we've never done paid advertising. We don't do banner ads. We don't do a lot of that stuff. We've just invested time in building relationships. And that's what's brought us to where we are today. And that's what's kept us in the good position that we're in right now. Um, we just have this incredible foundation of individual cyclists, clubs tours, tour guests, event organizers, event participants. And we've just taken the time to get to know every single person that comes through our ecosystem as well as we possibly can to form the relationship and learn how to better serve them. Uh, we're purely exclusively member funded and we don't have any outside investment at this time. We've never taken any outside money. So that's one kind of scary. And I've kind of, I've mentioned this uh, a couple of times on other podcasts in the past years, like, well, we don't just, I'm not sitting next to this huge money bag right next to me that I can just kind of take in good times or in bad times. Um, But it also really just leaves us to answer to our community and make tools for our community and listen to our community because we don't have anybody else that we have to listen to. Um, We don't, you know, we don't have these, you know, we don't have to pay back money. We don't have to cut costs in order to become profitable. We don't have to do anything like that. We just listen to our community and try to do the things that they want us to do. And that's been pretty good for us so far. And we've enjoyed doing it and we're going to continue to enjoy doing it.
0: What are the pitfalls of being a company that's really based around relationships? Are you sort of more at the whim of like soft economics and a little less at the whim of hard economics? Is there a different way you have to approach it from a purely sort of lowercase or, or uppercase M marketing perspective, like not maybe marketing sales, but maybe just marketing yourself and finding relationships and building that organic support?
4: Yeah, I think, you know, the main thing that that we think about is like, well, it's really kind of just hindered growth. And now growth is a very nebulous term. It can mean a lot of different, you know, things, big growth, small growth, organic growth, healthy growth. Um, you know, so it's like, yeah, we could have taken money and we could have rocketed our, you know, growth in users or whatever. Um, but we just haven't. Um, and we've still continued to grow year over year, every year. Um, is it as fast as maybe some of us would like to? No, we you know, everybody wants to do better and grow faster. Um, but we've been able to do it or get, you know, sustainably. And that brings us back to where we are now, where it's like, you know, we'll, We're still growing um, and we don't, we've never laid anybody off. We're actually hiring right now. We're hiring for a number of positions right now. And that's a great position to be in um, where, you know, maybe others aren't, you know, others are maybe cutting costs. Maybe that's, you know, from the product side or maybe that's from the staff side, Um, but we don't have to do that. We can continually bring on new people, new talent, new ideas, and continually deliver, uh, you know. New features, new stuff that our that our community wants us to do,
0: yeah, I mean that seems striking for me in conversations I've had with people who are related to ride with g p s and people who have used the the software for a long time and the mapping capabilities for a long time um and it really seems to present itself in certain relationships where ride with g p s has maybe taken a swing or gone outside the expectation um and I think one of those great examples is to bring this conversation back around to ostensibly what this podcast is about, the Gravel Adventure Field Guide. So um, I found it really interesting when I was looking through the guides to see Ride with GPS be so visible on something that is fundamentally not the site, right? It's something that is external. It's something that might be seen as an alternative. What do you think is beneficial and unique with this connection between what is a web-based site and what has been a web-based company and something that's analog and traditional in the strict sense of what it is and what it's being marketed as we
4: have you know billions and trillions and gazillions of routes and rides all over there and i used to talk about this years ago when i would you know give presentations or talk to organizations uh, it's like oh go to our find page and do a search in sacramento and you'll get like eight hundred thousand results it's so cool and then we really had you know an about face where it's like, that's not cool. Like think about a Google search. Like you're not going to be super excited for the 10th page of Google results. You're not even going to make it there. Give me the good stuff right up front, the stuff that I'm looking for, which is generally going to be the curated stuff. Um, things that are content, rich photos, community information, It's created by, you know, someone who has ties to the community, who's probably in the community, who knows the community intimately and knows exactly what someone who's maybe visiting this place for the first time should do. And then they package that together. Um, So whether it's, you know, I think the analog and the digital, I think all of that lends well together. And we still offer the, the ability to print paper maps and cue sheets from our website and you like it or not paper is never going to die and it is still a surprisingly robustly used feature on our site whether it's clubs or whether it's just people who like a physical thing in hand i mean the i don't know the world is you know less and less becoming tangible and it, this is still that tangible thing um you know no one can I can't lose it. I can't not find it. You know, if something on its phone, if it's tucked away in the corner or whatever, no, 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 no. I still have this piece of paper. I can hold it. I can look at it. I can take notes on it. Um, I can still do a lot of things for it. Um, So yeah, the field guides are super cool. And if people do want that digital component to it, there we are and you know they've already created the digital component a curated digital component so they're two you know very kind of similar things they're just you know very different mediums um, to try to appeal to the widest
0: possible audience the gravel adventure field guides is one company or organization or product that uses that ride with gps sort of foundation in some capacity i know bikepacking.com is another example um, I know Rodeo Labs is using Ride With GPS when it comes to um, the Ascend Armenia race mid-south that I'm going to in a couple of weeks. will be sending I'll you see, I'll oh. see you there at mid-south. Yeah. yeah and I yes. know Bobby has been a long, Bobby's a, a friend mm. of the podcast and also a longtime user of Ride With GPS. Yes, love Bobby. Not planning. What does Gravel Adventure Field Guide sort of suggest about the direction that Ride With GPS is going? on a broad sense, like what are the hopes with the company for the next five years of growth and of change and of approaching future and approaching this future where you're looking more at story and you're looking more at curation than in the past where it was really just about defining the technology and presenting the ability for people to connect with their terrain or unknown terrain?
4: Yeah, it's actually yeah cool and funny and interesting that you hit on that where we've internally kind of started thinking of this as like the kind of third phase of growth for our company where we spent forever building the route planner building this tool um and then we spent this you know the second phase of like you know connecting the users to the route planner and getting them to create routes and trying to break down barriers for creating routes. And now we're kind of into this third phase of like, okay, well, we know that we have the best route creators in the world using our platform. Um, We know we have the best library of bike routes in the world um, that are on our platform, you know, things like bikepacking.com, which is, you know, maybe the greatest resource of incredible routes in the world. Um, So what we're working on doing now is, celebrating those creators and their routes and making all of the content easier to discover and easier to use. So this year is a big kind of, or kind of internally speaking around this idea of like community community and content or community and collaboration. So how do we get all of this wonderful content in front of users easier or in an easier way? Um, and then how can we connect the community connect riders with each other um so we have this kind of notion of like collaboration and gratitude are going to be the currency on our platform um so we're we're just releasing a recommendations project we've been working on so it's you know users reviewing routes on on the platform and then showcasing those routes um but doing it in a very like methodical manner of how we you know it's initially right now to see that it's like, oh, we match people's trips to a route on our site. It's not just like, hey, everybody, like get on there and anybody can review anything at any time or whatever. It's not like that. It's like, okay, well, we've identified people we know rode this route. They have a trip that matches this route. So we've got very, you know, we're starting with very real firsthand knowledge. Um, And then move it towards, you know, emailing others like, hey, you just did this route. Would you recommend this route? And if they did that, and said, Yeah, sure, I'd recommend that. We let the route creator know, hey, somebody just recommended your route. You made their ride better. You made it easier. Well done. Um, and then moving into a way of you know giving a user the ability to more easily ask a question of the route creator, because we see this all the time. You know, there's forums, there are all sorts of things. You know, hey, there's this route. Uh does anybody know if this road's still open. Um, is that, is that, bar, you know, is that angry dog still out on that gravel road? Um, it's like it, if somebody has that question, it should be very easy to get that in front of the creator of the route and we should make it very easy for them to engage in a dialogue or a quick back and forth to help each other out. So, um, you know, we've got the tools, we'll continue, you know, adding new tools, enhancing old tools, um, like we've always done. Um, but really you know, connecting users, getting them to collaborate with each other, to help each other out um, is going to be, you know, a a big, a big focus for
0: us this year. Now back to Steven Bineski and the gravel adventure field guides.
3: It's a good, like going to each location and getting a chance to ride when I'm working on the map illustrations or the cover illustrations being in the destination is a huge benefit to, to figure out what is the essence of what's this place about, what's going to happen here. Um, there's always something that you see that triggers something. Like I had this strange thought we're working on Las Cruces, New Mexico. And the first time we had done a ride down there, the trail had, had, um, had a certain type of cactus. So I started working with that. And then all of a sudden throughout the whole ride, I never saw it again. And I was like, well, that was a weird anomaly. And all of a sudden I looked and I had that on a whole bunch of pages like, well, that was only in one small spot. And then I realized that, you know, it helps with the geography of the location where something might grow and might not grow. So being out in the ride helps be pull in what we see, you know, you might see a road grader, or you might see a certain type of tractor, or you might see a donkey, you might see a, you know, a couple of horses in a field. So being out and riding is a huge influence on what ends up in the book. And the other part is just the mental headspace of being able to go on a ride and erase everything else. Um, because kind of being in the moment of the ride and, um, you know, it always is a way for me to erase the stress of the day or the week to get out there and, You know, a lot of times you're thinking about the the descent and finding the right line so it's smooth and you can stay fast. And sometimes you might just roll down a long hill, sit up and take out your phone and take a picture. You know, sometimes you can go, you know, going slow is just as fun and just kind of find a flowy line. And um, so being out and riding to get a positive headspace is another big part. So there's that duality of thinking and not thinking about where you are and just kind of going out and enjoying the day and then yeah. pulling things back in and figuring out what are you going to draw? Or did what we ride, is it worthy of being in a route? Is this part, you know, and luckily the destinations we're going to are all pretty amazing. Um, and that's another part is we're hoping to, to share the knowledge and spread the love. Like we don't want any one town to get inundated. Um, you know, I heard us, I had a friend that i rode with years ago we were out on a mountain bike ride and he was like man this is great he's like i went to a, a fat tire festival and you know there were 500 people queued up trying to get through the crux and we stood there with one foot on the ground for like a half hour while people just like tried to make this little rock section and i was like ew he's like yeah he's like Sometimes things are flowy and everyone goes out and everyone moves along and sometimes you get hung up and like an hourglass effect happens and you just have to wait your turn. And that stuff kind of chimes in like, what is the experience when you go for a ride and you're with your four friends and what's the experience when you go to a ride with a thousand people. And our goal is to promote gravel for everybody so that you can experience it on a curated route with three or four friends. You know, because it changes the landscape when you look ahead in the road and it's just you out there with your food and your water and you've got 100 miles to go versus there's 20 or 30 riders ahead of you or 100 riders ahead of you. You're like, oh, I'm just going to follow that dude. But the gravel adventure field guide, you know, you're out there with your four friends on in a, in a route where you're like, hmm, there's no one in front of me to follow. It's a whole different experience. And that's where we also say. We want you to go and create your own experience, like go out and ride. And I think, you know, you can use it as a training tool and you can also use it as a, you know, a tool to kind of open your spirit and trust yourself and go out and have an experience
0: that you wouldn't have during an event. Yet in the building of these field guides, it's not just Juan and Steven who learn about a place and who have to. Build out the experiences and guides associated with it. It's also the folks in those communities who are helping Gravel Adventure Field Guides build those guidebooks that learn a little bit about their community and are doing this in the schematic of a larger vision of other different recreational opportunities. Here is Wally Wallace once again.
2: Like I said, I think the thing that was trickiest for me was learning how to wade through the bureaucracy of. And I don't think that's unique to Trinidad. I think that's unique to government and that, yeah, here are these guys that have this really great idea, really um, innovative way of us reaching this goal that we wanted to reach as a community, but we still had to go through all these pure procurement policies, open it up to other people. And, and honestly, if we hadn't selected Juan and Steven, it would have kind of sucked for them because it was their idea. And then somebody else would have gotten the money to do it. <laughs> and so um, luckily I think that that a big portion of our community recognizes the need to bring in tourists and travelers um, to bring in more economic uh, viability to the area, and this was just a unique opportunity to do that.
0: When looking at the gravel guides as they are now, it's something that seems to be desirable for other cities. Um, It's something that Roanoke, Virginia has heard of and tried to implement it, something you see in Bend, Oregon. The most recent one is Las Cruces. What would be something you might say to a different economic development director or a coordinator in a other small town in terms of navigating the, proje- the process and what would be something you would say could be the benefits for investing in a in a product like this?
2: And, well, for us, I think it was really worth it because, like I said, when or or, I actually didn't say this. Like, when I first came to town, I didn't see a single bicycle. Um, I came, drove down here. I actually had my bike on my car. Me and a buddy of mine rode around, and we didn't see anyone else on bikes anywhere. I remember when I first was planning the comedy festival, I took a trip over to Raton, which is just 18 minutes away, and I was riding my bike through downtown ratone and there was a group of school kids like walking single file on the sidewalk and all of a sudden one of the kids looked at me and said oh my god a bicycle and it was like he hadn't seen one before it was just like a crazy feeling coming from denver which is where i lived before where you just see people riding bikes all the time there's like an extensive uh river trail system where you can get from one side of town to the other to go to this community that um really had a lot of potential to be a bicycling community and having just nobody really riding around there. Um, So it was cool to see it go from that of like really seeing people riding bikes around town as a rarity to now uh, a year after we presented the gravel field guide, uh, we had lifetime fitness approach us saying they wanted to put on a gravel race here. And so now every fall we have a race in town that brings almost a thousand cyclists to the area to ride around to spend money in our hotels to spend money in our restaurants um to put on this big festival that really brings a lot of economic growth to our area so um and then on top of that not even during the race now i think like seeing a bike around town though you may not see it as much as you see it in communities that have it had it established for a long time like it's not something that a school kid is going to like point a uh, jaw dropped shocked that there's an adult riding a bicycle through town. <laughs> so,
0: how are you shaping your vision of the continuation of what was started with that guide and the race and what do you expect for the next couple of years for Trinidad as it sort of builds on this legacy of cycling in the, in the town?
2: Well, when I first moved here, there actually wasn't a single bicycle shop in town. There was one right outside of town in the county. Um, but really, they had kind of distanced themselves a little bit from the community due to um, issues they'd had in the past from being involved with the community. They used to do like trips where they take people out on rides. But at one point in time, somebody got in an accident and there ended up being a lawsuit. And when that happened, they kind of stepped out of that uh, community cycling. Uh, footprint that they had been in before so when I first moved here just felt like there wasn't a bike shop here there wasn't bike races here there was um, Juan was here he was riding bikes around and there were a few other people you'd see but um, we really made it a endeavor to put together this guide we did a bicycle symposium where we invited a bunch of industry cyclists from all around the area to come spend a weekend here go for a ride Um, And then learn about the potential for cycling in the area. Um, Like I said, we got the races here. And gravel is to us, in my opinion, just the first step. Like I said, those were the roads that were here that didn't have a lot of cars on them, that had a lot of potential for riding. But since I started, we also, um, our mountain right outside of town was declared as Colorado's newest state park and is the second largest state park in all of Colorado. And we were really advocating to make sure that they put biking trails on there. And like I said, now there's 11 miles of trail in that state park and that's all within the past two years. And we'll see how much that grows over the next 10 years, over the next 20 years for there just to be more potential for mountain biking. Um, We're also on the highway of Legends, So I think that there's potential in the wrong long run for, some road cycling that could really be some long-distance cool rides through really scenic areas. So yeah, gravel was just kind of the first step. And what we're hoping to um, establish this whole area is just a biking destination.
1: Gravel Adventure Field Guide is still pretty new. I mean, dude, we're only like a year and a half um, old. Um, and in many ways, you know, I, I think I've been a little freaked out at how much we've done in the last year. Cause I was like, wow, man, is that really sustainable? Like, is that something, but you know, we're, we're really fortunate in that we're, we're a small team. We're, you know, we're gravel adventure field guys, essentially three individuals. Uh, it's myself, Steven Baneski and Justin Baylog. Justin Baylog is, uh, our cinematographer. He shoots all of our, our film stuff, but, we realize that we can't, we can only do so much. So currently, you know, the reality is, is we're we're probably about six books a year sort of thing. And, and uh, we have plenty of destinations, tons of places that we'd love to go and, and, and work on. But you know, a lot of these, a lot of these books sometimes can take up to a year to kind of happen. You know, again, you know, we were fortunate that uh, we were able to do so many in 2022, but a lot of those conversations were, Already starting to be planted as we were finishing Trinidad, they were already you know like you know looking ahead sort of thing. So you know I think there is a little bit of that. Um, yes, we want to grow, we want to expand, but there's also that reality of where where do how quickly do we want to do that? Because you know we we realize we have something pretty unique, and as we expand and and try to take on more, that that will that will become more of a challenge to to sort of preserve. And I think that's something that every company, every brand that's out there sort of has had to deal with to some degree. At this point, I know we're going to get an international project. It's going to happen. And it could even happen this year. Uh, But if it doesn't, that's not going to be like, you know, something that's going to, you know, necessarily bum us out because it's, you know, we're, we're just as easily excited to to move on to a potential new destination after, you know, we wrap up some of the cool places that we're already going to this year. So, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see where we're at at the end of this year in, in year two. And I'm, I'm psyched to be working with um, both Justin and Stephen because I think in, in many ways we're all on the same page as to where, you know, this is um, potentially going and w- what we can potentially do with it.
0: With the idea that you might be having to consider managing the number of books you do, have you thought about maybe expanding the project in other ways, like making each destination have a more robust program outside of the book? I I mean, the book seems like a pretty finished thing, and it seems like it is doing the best it can given the confines, but it is a book. So there's limitations when it comes to distribution to access. You have these videos, you have an online presence. Is there any intention to maybe expand that, maybe make longer videos or different series of videos with the cinematographer on staff? Or is that something that you think you've got a system where you can go into a community and you can produce something and then move on to the next and work to scale that way?
1: No, I think you know again it goes back to we're creatives, right? Like and so I think we're always going to be excited to talk to people about ideas that they may have. I wouldn't necessarily limit us to the book component anytime soon. I, I and and the other the other side of it too is, is that there is a digital, you know, space within the content that we create that we we realize we haven't even essentially touched. Um, cause we have been pretty busy just getting these books done, you know, each book takes about, I'd say about four months to complete, which is a pretty quick turnaround, but it's a, it's a, it, it is a, a pretty heavy lift at times and can be pretty, uh, stressful. And like everybody else, you know, <laughs> you know, you deal with like inflation just as much, you know, paper, you know, is, is, has changed dramatically in the last, you know, year sort of thing. So of course, if, if you're building a business, you know, part of your, your challenge is to always find. You know revenue opportunities that address certain areas that may not may have a a, a limit to you know you, like the books right like you know we only do ten thousand of each book and I really don't see it ever being more than twenty thousand in a destination because there is a little bit of exclusivity that we want with the books um, to continue to have but also um, you know the, there's a lot a ton of content that we don't even get to explore in the books that we we realize that there is opportunity to create that uh, digitally so. Um, we, I, I, yeah, I would definitely say we we are thinking in an expansive sort of mindset, but again, thoughtful in how we're going to uh, go about it. Cause again, we're, we're pretty new guidebooks have been done, right? Like we're not doing anything that hasn't been created in the last hundred years, but I think we, we are in an era where there's a lot of tool sets available to you, especially in the digital space to sort of create experiences that, you know, can go beyond just the physical book.
0: Rolling. Joining me now is Gordon Wadsworth and Emily Harefield. Thank you for joining. We brought you on because you have some insight into the most recent gravel field guide in Roanoke, Virginia, and I wanted to pick your brains a little bit about that process. So, First off, when did you guys hear about the Gravel Adventure Field Guides and what was that conversation like getting started and getting involved?
5: Um, good question. Uh, that came from Christine McCormick at Virginia's Visit Virginia's Blue Ridge. Which is, she was previously worked with IMBA and then came to work here uh, for us because she's a Roanokeer. She sent me a message. Oh, maybe as much as a year ago, eh, 10 months ago, and asked if I'd be willing to help contribute to it. And I said, of course. And then and then, some time went by. And then I started getting e- emails and phone calls, hot and heavy, um, from Juan over there about uh, about routes and all this. And then we got on the phone and chatted through some stuff.
0: With Roanoke growing in sort of its intention to go into the outdoor community with amateur road nationals Mm -hmm. with UCI Cyclocross, with this tourism board promoting the Virginia Blue Ridge. How do you think the having a a field guide builds on that legacy and shows a different side to
5: the area? I think that's a great question because you're right. Like we have amateur nationals past past two this year and last year we have team 2024 is now co-sponsored by visit Virginia's blue Ridge, like all those things you mentioned. Um, but it shows, uh, I think a softer, more adventurous side that I think has honestly a, a much broader appeal. I think is in many senses truer to Roanoke's heart. We're not a community known for bicycle racing. Um, and we're not a community of bicycle racers, But we are a community of outdoors people and people that have a closeness to our area Um, and its history. And the Gravel Field Guide, like if you've never picked any of them up, they're exceptionally good at that. Um, You can peel through the first couple pages and understand, I think authentically, just based off of my knowledge of Roanoke and how it was produced for our area, of what that area is about and what you know, it's history is where it is now and where it's going. And you get to kind of like, you know, living tour that on many of our routes, you know, it's that one, that's a pretty cool element of it. So I think that for us, it was a, it was a project um, of Christine McCormick's, especially at Visit Virginia's Blue Ridge to, to, to do just that, right. To show a softer um, adventure-based side. Um, And it's awesome. It turned out so well.
0: The mountains of Virginia are not known as the most open place. Um, I have had my experiences there. You've had your experiences there. I would disagree with that assertion, but I think there is that sort of commonly held belief between Virginia and West Virginia, in the Appalachian Mountains, that it is something of a insular place. Emily, I know you're from Floyd County, which is more removed from Roanoke and really is known only for music festivals and it's mountains and it's country singers. What would you say to someone who has that idea that Virginia is maybe an insular place and that the mountains are not really welcoming for outsiders?
6: Oh, I'd say come visit. (laughs) I mean, I, I would say, um, I, I don't, I can't even begin to think that that's true. Um, you know, there's, it's such a diverse place with Mm -hmm. so many amazing nooks and crannies Mm -hmm. and, and maybe they're not accessible in the way that we think about access as far as like the, the DuPonts of Pisgah or, um, you know, the, the, the bike parks or these really well-marked trails and stuff, but they're such a, a honey hole of amazing history and amazing trails. Um, it, yeah, it may not be as accessible as far as like actually finding the trails, but once you're on them, um, it could be better. I mean, the, the, the local community here, if you could get invested with somebody here locally, it's beyond your wildest mountain biking and, and gravel riding adventures.
0: Do you think there's there's room to grow in the Roanoke area? do you think there's room for cycling to become something that is a little more of a, of a homegrown and celebrated thing?
5: Just based off the number of routes that um, Juan and I looked at that I said, no, you probably don't want to do that. Maybe not right now, but maybe one day I I know there is like, there were, I mean, a lot of routes that it was a fun back and forth because he would, he would, we would chat on the phone. I would tell him, look at these roads. He would come back to me with a route. Of suggestion I'd, I'd say nope someone's going to get shot maybe to your previous point <laughs> um, but and then we would go back to the drawing board and I would say yeah like I know that guy he's super willing to let a couple of us ride on it but I wouldn't put it in print and I think that's the the bridging that has to happen and it's on us to make it happen a little bit in our personal interactions with people but um, the gravel field guide I think it it, it appeals to the right people to put to put the right cyclists in the right interactions to do that in a and maybe unexpected and very positive way um, yeah,
6: and I think that extends far outside of just roanoke Valley I think, yeah Appalachia I think, I think that extends to mm-hmm. you know Appalachia and the New river valley because if yeah. you think about the Roanoke Valley and the New river valley, I mean that includes. You know Roanoke and Troutville and Salem and Botetourt and Craig and Montgomery County and Floyd County and it's this vast landscape of really amazing um, riding that may or may not be accessible now, but certainly can be in the future if that community and and relationships are are built. Wad well, and
0: I talked about the importance of local economic development offices Mm -hmm. and tourism boards on the process of shaping the field guide. And uh, Gordon, you mentioned some of the folks in Roanoke who had that role. Obviously there was real intentional choices that promoted Roanoke as the first East coast spot for it. What do you think the significance of Roanoke being that first East coast outpost and how do you think Roanoke fits into the schematic of the Eastern seaboard's outdoor
5: world. So if you've been to Roanoke, you will see the Roanoke star on top of a mountain, very central to our Valley. Um, And it's a huge neon star. It's kind of kitschy. But that star was put there in, uh, I think the thirties, I'm going to blow that. Um, But it was a symbol of sort of Roanoke's progressive spirit. And that's like the, that's the quotation I remember. Why a giant neon star is a symbol of progressive spirit, I don't know. But that spirit has definitely maintained. And I think that this is the kind of thing that that, that spirit plays out in now. Like, we are this, um, this sort of gravitational hub for so much of the area. And we, we think very much about how we do right by our neighbors. But we also think much bigger, a lot. Um, and I think this is a good example of that. You know, we see something like what the gravel field guide does just in presenting a whole history and shares it, um, of an area. And we said like, that's, that's dead on what we want to do. Um, and I think that that's, that's part of it, right? We have a very integral to this part of the world for some reason, maybe it's lead in the water. I don't know. We have this very sort of open progressive spirit about stuff and we see things and we're like, how do we do that here? You know, how do I how do I make that happen here? I don't want to leave because this is such a great space. How do I do it here? And that's that's kind of that's my answer to that. Like I think that's the MO here. Royal.
0: That is all from this week's Rodeo Adventure Labs podcast. We hope you enjoy a little different sounding experience this week. We will be bringing you more podcasts in the upcoming weeks. We have a doozy on the way. We can't say specifics yet, but it will be dropping sometime next week. And it will be followed by a number of other podcasts that follow a similar trajectory. We're trying different things. We're seeing what you might like. So please send us any feedback if you have it. Let us know if this different style of reporting was something you're into or let us know if it's something you're not. We'll mix in the standard conversations, but this was our attempt to go a little bit outside of the box and think a little differently about the Rodeo Labs podcast and hopefully provide stories that are worth listening to. So thank you for listening along and hopefully...
5: I see it down the road.